Welcome to the Living Well Podcast. I'm Mark Hennick. This season, our show is focused on the many ways in which the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted our mental health and well-being. That includes, of course, our state of mind, that individual perspective on the world. Tied up in that perspective, though, are many things that aren't, in fact, all in our head. That's why, on this show, we delve into mental health directly, but we also broaden the usual conversation around well-being. We've had conversations on identity, race, and parenting. We have whole episodes on schooling and politics and innovation. This is because our mental health and well-being is inextricably tied up not only with our physical and neurological health, but also our social and cultural well-being, too. This week, we're looking at work. We used to spend more waking hours at work than at home, spending more time with our colleagues than our family. Since the COVID-19 pandemic was declared back in March, though, how we work has looked very different. Not to mention how we spend our home lives. Can we ever truly work from home? Or are we all just living at work? First up, I talk about this with Jen Fisher. She's a chief well-being officer at Deloitte. And we're joined by Marianne Bainton, the Director of Collaboration and Strategy at Workplace Strategies for Mental Health, an initiative of Canada Life. Thank you both for joining me today. Pleasure to be here, Mark. Thanks for having us. So I'd like to have a little bit of conversation in this one of our very early episodes of the Living Well podcast for Morneau Chappelle uh, about the changing landscape of workplace mental health over the last several years in Canada and the U.S. And that's why I wanted to have you both on to do a little bit of, of comparing and contrasting and, and see where we can find some common ground. Um, so, Marianne, since we've spoken uh, quite a few times before, we've known each other for a few years now, um, I'm wondering if you can give me a little bit of a sense of the work that you're presently doing uh, with workplace strategies for mental health uh, and how that relates to the current workplace mental health landscape in Canada. Right. So, you know, for years we've been dealing with psychological health and safety, helping leaders to be more psychologically safe, helping build resilience for business teams as well as for individuals. But with the pandemic, what we've been looking at is really how to help people get in touch with emotions to actually tap into the wisdom of them and for leaders to become more authentic, more genuine in the way that they lead in order to both validate and um, make it safe for employees to talk about it. From a technical aspect, we're turning a lot of our uh, resources that would have been face-to-face -face into a more easy-to-use format for virtual. And we're also looking at how to make things even more bite-sized, if you will, because people are so overwhelmed with information and technology right now, we want to make it easy for them to consume things that mm -hmm. help with workplace mental health. And we've made a lot of progress in Canada on the workplace mental health front, I think, for several, for many years now that the National Standard for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace has been out, uh, and the work preceding that as well. Um, do you think, Marianne, that we were, uh, that workplaces in Canada were prepared psychologically for a pandemic, for a crisis of this nature? Uh, I'm not sure that any of us could have been prepared because it's so new, so unprecedented. But I am very impressed 
with the resilience shown by individuals, including individuals who have a diagnosis of a mental illness, and by the leaders who are learning as they go on how to support employees more effectively. So I think that I um, get to see some of the success stories. And of course, we all get to read about the failures. Um, but there, we have in place already, because of psychological health and safety, the tools, the resources, the approaches, the information, the evidence on why it matters and how to do it. So I think, I think we're in pretty good shape, but were we completely prepared? I don't think we could have been. Mm. I'd like to bring Jen Fisher into this part of the conversation. Jen, can you tell me a little bit more about the psychological health and safety landscape in the United States? Um, how would you describe the state of workplace mental health in America? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, similar to what Marianne described, I mean, this is this is something that has certainly been on the radar screen in, in, in corporate America um, for, for many years. Um, you know, the way in which different organizations have been responding to it um, or, or planning for it uh, probably varies quite, uh, quite a bit. Um, I, you know, I can speak directly to you know, what we've been doing at, at Deloitte, and this is something that has been part of our overall employee well-being approach for, for many years. Um, and, you know, it, it really, you know, started as, you know, mental health awareness, but quickly shifted into mental health literacy mm-hmm. and you know, making sure that it's, it's, you know, that it's not that we're just aware, but that, that we understand as employees, as colleagues, as individuals, um, you know, what mental health is, what mental illness is, what the signs and symptoms are um, for, for our colleagues, for ourselves, for our families. Um, and, you know, and that it is something that, that impacts so many of us. Um, but it's also, you know, whether it's us struggling with, with the mental illness or, or with our mental health, um, you know, it, it, it shows up at work. You know, it could be somebody in our family that is struggling, but it's still going to show up to work with us, right? And so really creating a, a literacy so that there's a, there's a deep understanding, compassion, empathy, because we believe that, you know, that that's how you remove the stigma. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if we all understand that we're susceptible, we all understand that there's people in our lives that might be struggling. Um, we understand how to have conversations, how to seek help if we need help um, or how to help others get help if they need help, um, you know, is is a really, really important piece of the puzzle. Mm. I don't know if, uh, Jen, you've you've spent much time thinking about this, but when I look at the uh, to contrast uh, the mental health conversation in Canada versus the mental health conversation in the United States, when I read about it in the United States, it seems to be very much focused on behavioral health, that your mental health is closely mm-hmm. related to how you behave and what you do and what other people can see. Whereas in Canada, and maybe Marianne, you've been around, you know, in this scene a lot longer than I have, but the conversation seems to be at least a bit more about emotional health, about emotional intelligence, an area where you spend a lot of time. Um, so Jen, I guess I'm wondering if that's an accurate portrayal uh, of, of the conceptualization of mental health in America. Is it behaviorally focused? Um, I, I think it is. Um, I, I would say, you know, the, the reason for that is, um, 
you know, behaviors as a result of mental health or are, are probably what is what people recognize, right? And so am I acting differently? Have I retreated? Am I lashing out? Am I, you know, and so I think from a education and like I said, literacy perspective, it is, it is really about kind of the understanding of what drives some underlying behaviors um, as opposed to, you know, any individual or a colleague, you know, being able to diagnose me, right? It's more about them understanding what some of the behaviors that present themselves, regardless of what it is that I'm struggling with related to my mental health. But what are, you know, it's, it's what are the, the, the behaviors that might present themselves? I also think, look, I mean, you know, we need to, we need to talk about mental health and mental illness as they are. And that's part of removing the stigma. And so when you said behavioral health, I, you know, nobody can see me, but I, you know, I, I, I kind of, I guess, snickered to myself. Right. And so I think behavioral health, I'm not, I'm not, you know, shunning that in any way, but it, it is kind of a, perhaps a, you know, maybe it feels better for people to call it behavioral health instead of calling it mental health or mental illness. And so I'm very much an advocate for let's call it what it is. You know, right. let's normalize the conversation. Let's not talk about it as something else, but let's talk about it as it is. Because again, it's something that in any, in some way is going to affect all of us at some point in our lives, whether it's us, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a family member, a friend, um, it, it impacts all of us. And, and so we don't do ourselves or anyone else any favor calling it something else just because it feels better to call it something else. And mm. we need to remove that stigma and, and call it what it is and be okay with what it is. Yeah. Marianne, do you think that in Canada we have a more socially determined orientation around mental health or is it still very much behaviorally focused? Uh, I really think that most of us, especially in the field, so we have a kind of skewed perspective, but that we really see it as part of the human condition instead of there's these people with a diagnosis and then there's everybody yeah. else. We all are dealing with our mental health moment to moment right mm -hmm. now, especially. And I think there's more of an understanding that if we can, um, in the uh, positive psychology, the words of Martin Seligman, if we can raise everybody up, then those who are more susceptible will be swept up in that as well in a positive way. And of course, there's going to be people who are going to need more extensive treatment that they're acutely ill. But the idea in a workplace that we try to optimize the mental health of every single person is a very inclusive, non-stigmatizing approach to addressing the issues. The standard itself came about in part because when we were accommodating people, so Jen, with the um, Americans Disability Act, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. We recognized that in a what we now call a psychologically safe workplace, it was really easy to accommodate someone and get them back to work and able to do their job and to function. But in a conflict-ridden, pressure uh, organization, a psychologically unsafe organization, it was much harder. So we were thinking yeah. the environment impacts every single person and if we start there instead of waiting for somebody to falter waiting for them to behave in a certain way we can help them before 
Um, it gets acute. And in fact, there's many people with depression and anxiety who don't ever miss a day's work because work is a refuge to them rather than a place of torture. <laughs> we'll be right back. The Living Well Podcast is brought to you by WellCan, a free mental health and well-being resource offered by Morneau Chappelle. At wellcan.ca and on the WellCan app in the App Store, you'll find information, assessments, and resources to support your mental health. WellCan resources are supplied by Morneau Chappelle's expert clinicians, as well as through partnerships with some of the biggest companies from across Canada and around the world. And now back to the Living Well Podcast and your host, Mark Hennick. Welcome back. We continue our conversation with Jen Fisher and Marianne Bainton. Um, so, Miriam, what would you recommend uh, in terms of how do you have a conversation with somebody you suspect of uh, struggling with depression or anxiety versus cancer? Uh, you know, it's interesting because I think when we when I started this journey, which was now over 15 years ago, uh, we had exactly the same analogy, right? If I had a broken leg, if I had cancer, you wouldn't treat me like that. And I think we have evolved a lot where we understand the value of asking questions instead of making platitudes like take care of yourself or do this or whatever. And uh, supporting employee success is a tool that we created with occupational health professionals from across the country. And they really helped us take what I think are three simple questions to ask people and turned it into a full um, comprehensive resource for people who don't feel comfortable asking the questions. And the questions that I would ask is, what is it that you need in order to do a good job and go home at the end of the day with some energy left over so that you're taking care of yourself, but you can do your job? Simple question, but very critical. Second question is, what are you going to do differently to support your own success, your own well-being, so that the individual understands that it's not just about you following the rules and getting your job done. You have to take responsibility and control of what you need at work. And then the last question is, again, one where people would often just wait for something to happen. But instead, we say up front, what will happen if you're not well again? What will happen if things get worse? What will happen if there's a performance issue? How can I, your leader, approach you in a way that you know I'm trying to be supportive? That's the approach mm -hmm. that we take. Mm -hmm. Now, the, this um, these issues, I suspect, will be exacerbated uh, by the, the present environment, the COVID-19 pandemic. How have you heard, or, or the people that you're working with, or, or you yourselves, how are you managing this now, um, taking all your work home with you, or like we were saying, living at work? How are people navigating the new work environment now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's an evolving answer. Mm. <laughs> I think we, we, are, we are learning as we go, um, but, you know, what I what I can say and what you know I have literally been preaching is is boundaries 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 right um, it it's more important now than ever when life and work are sitting on top of each other in in the same room 
um, to, to create boundaries for yourself, to stick to those boundaries, to communicate those boundaries with your colleagues, even within your own home, if there are others, um, you know, that, that you're living with, um, so that, so that everybody's on the same page and they, they know what your needs are, um, and you know what their needs are. So you can help support and, and respect those as well. But I mean, you know, boundaries are, 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 are interesting, right? Cause we can set boundaries, but if we, if we don't, ourselves stick to them we can't blame other people for overrunning them it's mm-hmm. it's our it's our job to stick to to those boundaries and um and that's hard to do um you know it, it it's hard for me and and so i you know i use my calendar i put everything in my calendar work and in non-work and i know for some people that's uncomfortable but i literally have breakfast lunch dinner workout and bedtime in my calendar because Right now, I need those boundaries, but I also need those reminders because I can just get stuck, you know, in front of my laptop, you know, banging away for 12, 13 hours a day. And then I wonder why I'm exhausted and not, you know, mentally acute and, you know, not mentally, you know, engaged in in all of those things. And then I step back and I'm like, well, that's because you haven't moved, (laughs) you know, for 12 hours. And so, and, and that's my own doing, right? And so I think, you know, we need to set those boundaries for ourselves, but we need to create the culture for our teams and our colleagues to do the same. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is for the managers and leaders to take care of themselves. Um, I'm a self-professed workaholic uh, with very poor boundaries and have found, though, that through this pandemic, I'm really putting in place um, mindfulness practices. And by that, I mean that when my focus is not there and I know that I'm going to have to really tense up and and put a lot of effort in, instead I step away. And I find that I can step away for two minutes and it can change everything. I can settle down and I can focus better. But that when I am not working, I make it very um, a, a very important effort to not think about work. And when um, I am working, I make a very definite effort to not think about all the other things. Because then that idea of trying to balance it all isn't a constant argument. It just becomes, I'm going to do my best in this moment, and then I'll do my best in the next moment. Mm. Now, one of the um, major challenges I think we've been facing after the initial uh, trauma in many respects of the lockdowns and and uh, the unexpectedness of the pandemic has been as it drags on the loneliness and the isolation the the pent up energy I think that that many people are experiencing without many ways without many healthy uh, outlets in which to express it um, so Jen I'm wondering how you've been handling as part of such a a large company as Deloitte, um, managing the team building aspect and the and the social connectedness and and staying in, interacting uh, with people so they don't feel so lonely. Actually, this has been kind of one of the the really interesting and, and rewarding parts of of my role over the past several months to see the creativity of teams and of team leaders um, to to really make sure um, that that you know, that we're, that we're staying connected, that we are, you know, being intentional. And I think that's key, right? Um, you know, a lot of the, 
informal, um, you know, networking, mentoring, on the job training, you know, human connection, things that just happened as a course of you know, being together and being co-located, we have to now be much more intentional about that. And we have to be much more intentional about, you know, how we're spending our time and who we're spending our time with and, and, you know, making sure that, that those, that those things happen. And so I think within Deloitte, I mean, we've seen a lot of, we've seen a lot of creativity. Um, you know, certainly there, you know, things like virtual, you know, virtual coffee breaks, um, you know, and, and, you know, teams getting together for, you know, to, to, to watch movies, to read books, to, you know, book clubs and things like that, that are just kind of really popping up informally. Um, and, and having a place, we have a, a site on our employee internet where we, you know, it's staying connected. So where we can share all of these ideas with one another and what we're doing really, again, I think the, the buzzword here that I'm trying to say is intentionality, you know, learning yeah. along the way of, and being intentional about how you connect with one another and what that looks like and using everything that's at our disposable disposal to stay connected. Well, I don't think anybody had ever heard of Zoom fatigue previously. Um, <laughs> I don't think many people had even heard of Zoom previously. Um, <laughs> Some of the, the psychological research on Zoom fatigue has showed that uh, when you're watching lots of people on a screen at once, you're trying to decipher their facial expressions, and that's mentally exhausting, and that seems to be contributing to it. So, Marianne, yeah. how can people present themselves in an authentic way um, while they're just a picture on a screen and you don't have any other behavioral information to show how they're feeling? It's, it's an interesting thing because we've been playing around with it a lot lately with some of our stuff and found that people can actually be more authentic without the video on. Oh, interesting. And yeah, we did a, a webinar on implicit bias, but we happened to have a poor connection. And so people turned their videos off and afterwards when they turned talked about it, they said, it was so much easier for me to be honest with myself and honest with all of you when I wasn't looking at you, mm. when I wasn't trying. So that was a really interesting piece of information. It's also that smaller groups are much easier to be authentic and intimate on than, you know, when you've got 40 or 50 people on Zoom. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, you know, trailing off that, I'd, I'd finally like to ask you um, how you see things moving forward in the future. How is this going to change things for workplace mental health moving forward uh, if and when the pandemic ends? Marianne? Well, my optimistic, hopeful idea about that is that all of us are going to become more self-aware. All of us are going to understand that we all have resilience. It's just a muscle that you need to build up. And I think that we're going to value connection uh, to people in a way that we never did before. And I also think that the pandemic is making us understand our interdependence. It really understand that no matter what your spiritual beliefs are, we are all connected. And it, that in and of itself means that your well-being, your uh, being able to thrive directly impacts me. And so I want it for you as much as I want it for me. Yeah, so um, I think it definitely will end. <laughs> we just we just don't know. We just don't know when. Um, but, you know, fr from from what I have seen just over the past several months, um, you know, the, the, the pandemic, in a way, you know, if you can call it a, a silver lining, 
has really elevated the conversation around mental health in society and in the workplace. Um, and many, many leaders of organizations are, are talking about it, um, are, are very you know, genuinely concerned about it. Um, and how it's impacting their employee population. I think there's a, a recognition um, that, you know, we're, we're all vulnerable, right? Um, that, that are, you know, like Marianne said, you know, every single day, our, every single one of us, our, our mental health is impacted, right? And I think prior to the pandemic, um, you know, we all had a lot of coping mechanisms and they weren't bad coping mechanisms, but, you know, those were, those were taken away from us, right? They, they were temporarily not available or we had to create new coping mechanisms. And so I think it, it in a way, has, has made a lot of us vulnerable or a lot of people that maybe didn't realize that they were susceptible to impacts on their mental health um, are now feeling it. And so I think that that, um, you know, there's, there's this collective recognition, which, which brings everybody together. I mean, we're all, we are all experiencing this pandemic you know, differently, but we're all experiencing it. Even after the pandemic, we're all still in it together. Yes. Um, thank yes. you so much. Je Jennifer Fisher is the Chief Wellbeing Officer at Deloitte. Marianne Bainton is the Director of Collaboration and Strategy at Workplace Strategies for Mental Health. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you. Great talking with both of you. You've been listening to the Living Well Podcast. Mark Hennick is our host and executive producer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show. There's no cost involved. You just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and a rating to let us know how we're doing. For more information about the show and the WellCan Project, visit wellcan.ca. The Living Well Podcast is produced for Morneau Chappelle by Mark Hennick and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford.